The Bible is full of surprises. There's an overarching story that God is directing, and yet he chooses to write it with human characters. And even when they go off script, God's story will still get told, with extra twists and turns included. Today, we'll look at a triangle relationship filled with tension and high drama, and ultimately we catch a glimpse of God, only to realize He's looking right at us. Welcome to First 15 Podcasts, brought to you by Word of Prayer. I'm Ron, and I'll be your guide on the journey. Thanks to our regular followers, and welcome if you're one of our new listeners. We practice reading the Bible as we listen to God speak to us, meditating on the Word, and then using the Scriptures to pray them back to God. Subscribe or follow our podcast if you haven't already. Now, we're in Season 5 of the podcast, where we're focused on learning to listen and pray through Bible stories or narrative, which we've noticed makes up almost half of the entire Bible. We've listened to Bible stories starting in 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 3, and then we turn to the first 11 chapters of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, which tell a universal story about a creator God who makes everything good. He gives mankind his image and seeks to bless all people. He chooses to do that through one family, through a couple known as Abram and Sarai. Today, we're going to listen to the story from Genesis 16 about Abram, Sarai, and a woman named Hagar. So listen to Genesis 16. I'll read all 16 verses now. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had a servant, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, Look, Yahweh has restrained me from bearing children. Please go in to my servant. Perhaps I will gain children by her. Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Sarai, Abram's wife, took her servant Hagar, the Egyptian, after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, and she gave her to Abram, her husband, to be his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. When she saw that she had conceived, she despised her mistress in her eyes. Sarai said to Abram, This wrong is on you. I gave my servant into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she despised me. May Yahweh judge between me and you. But Abram said to Sarai, Look, your maid is in your hand. Do to her whatever is good in your eyes. Sarai dealt harshly with her, And she fled from her presence. Yahweh's angel found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where did you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Yahweh's angel said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hands. Yahweh's angel said to her, I 
will greatly multiply your seed or offspring, that they will add up to a multitude. Yahweh's angel also said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because Yahweh has heard your affliction. He will be like a wild donkey among men. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. He will live opposed to all of his brothers. She called the name of Yahweh who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I really seen the one who sees me? Therefore, the well was called Be'er Lachai Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar bore a son for Abram. Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So Genesis 16, it's not a long chapter, just 16 verses long. And I wanted to just pause for a moment and put it in the context of what we've been already talking about in our podcast. So our last episode was... Abram's big blessing focused on uh, Genesis chapter 12. And after that episode in which God blesses Abram and, and reveals his plans to him, and then Abram goes down to Egypt to escape famine and gets in trouble with Pharaoh's household, trying to pass off Sarai as, as his sister. Pharaoh's household almost gets into trouble with all of that, but is righteous and Sarai is returned to Abram, and they eventually come back to Canaan. With all of that going on, right after that, for the next two chapters, Genesis 13 and 14, the focus is more on Abram and Lot, his nephew. They are both prosperous, and they have too many possessions, too many flocks, and they're competing for the same limited resources. And so they have to separate. And Abram generously gives Lot the choice of the land. Lot unwisely chooses to live in Sodom, in the cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah. Abram takes the hilly, less fertile hill country. It's more arid as well, even today. As Lot is living in Sodom, he gets caught in the crossfire of some international intrigue as some kings from the east come and invade or seize Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities allied with them. And Abram takes a big band of, of uh, his men and basically rescues Lot and saves the day and returns all the, the goods that have been stolen from Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the midst of that whole story, uh, a mysterious figure named Melchizedek comes out and blesses Abram. The part that I really wanted to mention here comes in Genesis 15, the chapter just before what we've read. And God appears to Abram in a vision and reaffirms the blessing that he is going to make, um, the covenant with Abram. And he especially is answering Abram's question about God. He said, I'm going to have many offspring, but I don't have any children. And so am I going to be 
giving my estate to Eleazar of Damascus, the, my one of my uh, faithful servants? And God said, no, it will be offspring from your own body. I'm going to bless you basically through your own child, which Abram didn't have yet. And so Abram has this covenant ceremony with God and has had reassurances from God in chapter 15. So falling right on the heels of this, we have the episode that I just shared with you, Genesis 16, in which Abram is not so active in what's going on here. Instead, the character of Sarai comes to the to the forefront. And Sarai is very active in chapter 16. From the very beginning, she's introduced as Abram's wife, and she has this servant, Hagar, uh, an Egyptian. And Sarai sees that she has not borne any children. In fact, she says, God has restrained me from having children. And so she has this great plan. Abram, I'll give you my servant, my maidservant, Hagar, and she'll be my proxy. She'll be my surrogate. I'll give her to you. She'll be like another wife to you, but any children she has will be my children. And so she'll stand in my place because I physically don't seem to be able to have children. So this is how we'll have children. And Abram goes along with the story. He goes along. And so Abram goes along with Sarah's plan, willingly. And so... As we just read, you can see what this does to the whole dynamics. Once Hagar conceives, she starts acting pompous or she wants to to be more important, not just be the maidservant, not just be uh, the one who bears children, but maybe she's even got her eye on, uh, she wants to displace Sarai or push Sarai aside and take up a privileged position uh, next to Abram. And Sarai goes and complains to Abram about this. So there are some customs that are operating in the background that are obviously from a culture different from the way most of us are familiar with today. Sarai has given her servant Hagar over to Abram. And so then she comes to Abram and says, hey, she is not listening to me anymore. I've given her to you. And look, you know, this is not right. What's going on between us? You need to do something about this. And what does Abram do? He punts. He decides, well, I'll just hand her back to you. She's under your control. You take care of the situation. And so when Abram chooses not to exert leadership in this situation, Sarai steps forward again, and she mistreats Hagar. In fact, in Hebrew, the, the term is she afflicts her servant. She's afflicting her and mistreating her so that Hagar runs away. She goes off to the desert. But she doesn't just go off in any random direction. From the locations that were given in the text. It says she heads down to Shur. She's headed home. She's headed back toward Egypt in the direction of where she came from. That's what's familiar to her. That's where she's running to. The only problem is between the land of Canaan and the land of Egypt, it's a very dry land. It's desert land. And so she's out in the middle of the desert and uh, she is in danger of actually dying 
and yet there's this spring in the desert, and the angel of Yahweh appears to her. Now, the angel of Yahweh, or what's called the angel of the Lord in some traditional translations, is really an appearance of God himself, of Yahweh, but in a form that human beings can see and relate to, because no person can see God and live. So it's the angel of Yahweh, but it's it's not like an angel apart from God, like a separate entity. This is God appearing in a form that humans can interact with. And so it says the angel of Yahweh asks Hagar where she's coming from, where she's going. And she gives her answer. And basically the angel says, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And then gives a great promise that you will have many descendants. You will have much offspring. Your seed will be great, which is very much an echo of what God has already promised to Abram. And she's even given the name for the child that she is carrying right now. You will call him Ishmael because Yahweh has heard of your affliction. So what she has been suffering under the hand of her mistress, under Sarai's mistreatment, God has noticed that. Now, the name Ishmael is very, very similar to a name that we've already encountered in this season, at the beginning of season five, when we were reading 1 Samuel. That's right, Samuel, which in Hebrew is Shemuel, Shemuel, Ishmael. Do you hear some similarity? These two names are basically off of the same two roots, Shema, which is to hear or listen, and El, or God. So Shemuel is heard of God, Ishmael, God is heard. So just two different variations of the same basic idea. God hears the cry of these women who are crying out to him. Hannah asking for a child because she's barren. Hagar has been heard because she's been put in this difficult, near impossible situation coming between Sarah and Abram. And it's not like she is completely innocent either. Maybe she took advantage of her newfound importance and had the wrong attitude. But the net effect is there's a lot of jealousy. Sarai will not put up with this. Abram doesn't want to get involved. And so Sarai is, is just determined that she's going to have God's will turn out the way that she wants it to work. Because it's, there's a very interesting word that's used in the text that isn't very evident in English. But back in verse 2, Sarai said to Abram, Yahweh has kept me or restrained me from having children. So go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. That word build, bana in Hebrew, is exactly the same word used back in Genesis 11 for the people at the Tower of Babel who want to build this tower to heaven. And I don't think this is a coincidence. In fact, it's a very unusual word to be used here that Sarah wants to build a family. You don't build a family, right? It's an unusual word to use in Hebrew. You don't bana a family, 
Okay, you you might you lad you you might bear children and you'll have a family, but you don't build a family. And so it's a linguistic parallel that's given that is meant to throw the reader back to the earlier episode in Genesis 11, whenever people got it in their head that they were going to seize hold of the blessing of God, and they were going to make a name for themselves. They were going to make God's promises and blessings happen in their time, in their way, according to their own designs. The other thing that I find really interesting in this whole story is that there's some real verbal parallels between how Sarai acts and how it's how the story is told, the actual words, the vocabulary used, and what happens back in Genesis 3. Because in that story, in the first or the original couple, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, we have Eve taking action. She's in conversation with the serpent and she's actively considering and weighing this fruit looks good and it will make us wise and the serpent is encouraging her to think in a certain way and she sees the fruit and she says, why not? You know, let's go for it. In much the same way, Sarai sees her situation and she takes hold not of fruit but of her maidservant and gives it to her husband just like Eve saw the fruit took it gave it to her husband and it became a stumbling block for both of them and the same thing happens in the story what Sarah has in mind how she wants to fulfill God's plan becomes a stumbling block for both of them it's not about blame it's not like some people have said in the past that, oh, the woman is to blame, you know, like Adam. Oh, the woman gave me the fruit. Well, that's just a man not acting like a man who is abdicating his leadership position. Just like in this story, we see Abram really abdicating his leadership instead of saying, Sarai, I appreciate so much what you're trying to do here, but this is not God's plan. This is not what we should be doing. I'm not going to sleep with your maidservant. God will find a way to give us children, even though it seems impossible. But this is not the way. Instead of being the leader, Abram just goes along with Sarah's plan. And so it brings trouble for both of them. Well, as we've seen, the one who really bears the brunt of all of this is Hagar. She catches the bad end of the deal. She's afflicted. And then that word gets repeated two or three times in just these few verses. But Yahweh's angel says, God has seen your affliction. And I find it really interesting that in this story, the very first time that a human being gives a name to God in the Bible happens in Genesis 16. And it's the woman Hagar, the Egyptian woman, who names God El Roi which in Hebrew means God who sees me, El Roi, God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. The well or the spring that is right there where she's drinking from that saves her from dying of thirst in the wilderness, she names it Be'er Lachai Roi, which is the well of the living God who sees me. So God hears Ishmael. God hears. That's what Ishmael means. God has heard. 
God has heard Hagar's cry, her plight, and gives her a son who is going to become the father of great multitude of nations, which he is. God sees Hagar in her situation, in her plight, and comes to her aid. And in a bigger sense, God, despite the efforts of Sarai and Abram, to make the blessing come about in their time and their way, in a way that makes sense to them, God saves the day and says, no, this is not how I'm going to do it. We'll see it in, if you keep reading in chapter 17 that follows, that God does a correction and says, no, 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 not just from your body, Abram. I'm going to give you a descendant from you and Sarai coming together. It will be your son. So I will bless Ishmael too, but Ishmael is not the son of promise. Let's take a moment now and let's pray to God using the scripture, using Genesis 16. God, you hear our cries and see our plight. Your plans are to bless us, yet we try to grasp the blessing ourselves, running ahead of you, doubting you. You ask us to trust and believe that you see us and you see it all. You see everything in ways that we do not and we cannot see it all. Everything happening right now, everything that's happened before and what is still yet to come. We can't see it all, but you see. Even in our attempts to make things happen, to build it our way, you still work in it for the good of all. God, forgive us. And God, I also pray that we not presume on your grace and your great creativity in working all things out for good. Because when we see your goodness and your grace, we might be tempted to think, it doesn't matter what we do, God's going to make it all work out. And that's not what you want, because we're alienated from a relationship with you and learning to trust you and let you do things in your time and your way that are far beyond our wisdom, far beyond what we can see and what makes sense to us. And yet, in a way that we can never anticipate, you have even better and greater things in store, not just for us, but for us and for many more people. It's not a limited slice of pie. Your blessing is great. It's tremendous. It goes beyond anything we can imagine. El Roi, you are the God who sees us, who hears our cries and affliction. We will trust and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. So my insight from this story, from Genesis 16, it's Abram's story, but really, as we saw, it's really Sarah and Hagar's story. They're much more active and involved in what's going on here. We see these three people get enmeshed in a very difficult situation by not seeking God's way, by trying to engineer and come up with their own solutions or take advantage of a situation like Abram, who is given this gift, I put that in quote marks, 
or Hagar, who's given this inside once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be elevated, to have her status raised within this renowned family, and she tries to overplay her hand. And what ends up happening is everyone gets hurt. God's story really surprises us the more we meditate on it. God's story teaches us important things about what he is doing, but more importantly, who he is, that he's a God who sees us. He's a God who hears. He's God who cares about our affliction. He cares about the blessing and the promises that he's made to us, even more than we care about it. And he will certainly do a better job of bringing about a tremendously blessed situation for everyone involved, not in a way that we on a human level can engineer and and make a mess of, but God will work it all out for good. So I'm wondering, how is God speaking to you through this story? Do you believe that God sees you? Do you believe that God hears you? Just as he heard Hagar and her cry in the wilderness, just as he heard and saw Abram and Sarai in their anguish, being childless and being old and advanced in years, far beyond childbearing years, and yet he still has surprises in store for them. Do you know God has surprises in store for you? Are you willing to let him work in your life and bless you in the ways that he wants to. I'm looking for that. I'm asking God, help me to be patient enough and to trust you so that I don't miss out on your blessing and and more importantly, the relationship that you want to build with me and just wrap me in your arms in a way that I just cannot imagine. Let me hear from you with a note about how you're being helped or impacted by this podcast, you can find us at wordofprayer.com. That's with dashes, word-of-prayer.com. We're also on social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wordofprayer15. You can look for us there and we'd love to hear from you. You can also support our podcast by looking for one of our books on Amazon, either Ron or Angela Altman's. I'll have links to that in the show notes. If you look at where you got this podcast, where you downloaded it from, where you're listening from, you can find links to that or on our website at wordofprayer.com. As we progress in the story, we won't be able to hit every chapter in the story. We're going to have to speed over certain parts ahead, but I really encourage you not to miss what is coming ahead in season five, because there's some great lessons about how to read Bible stories, but also how to let God work in our own lives and just be amazed at how he is telling his story through us. I'll look forward to seeing you on the next episodes. Blessings. Blessings.